All right, Cheryl, you're just going to come on up and preach the rest of my message. That was a good illustration. I like that Holy Spirit thing, filling up those buckets. That's what we're talking about. For those of you who don't know why she was referencing buckets over here, why there's buckets on the ground, we had a little bit of a flood this week, snow and snow and ice on the roof. We got a lot of it off so the roof didn't collapse, but we didn't get enough of it off for it to not leak, and so we had some leaking. It was actually raining in here. Um, this week, uh, which was very interesting. It reminded me of that song, Let It Rain. I just said, you know what? I know that's a natural, but I'm asking for the Spirit. Let it rain. Open the floodgates of heaven. All of you who laughed in that song, sing with me. Let it rain. Let it rain. Open the floodgates of heaven and let it rain. Amen. That's what we're talking about. We started a series <clears throat> last week on the Holy Spirit, and you see a, an image of a, of a glass <clears throat> filled with water. And I really do like that imagery um, that Cheryl just gave, which is to the degree that you want to be filled up, May your container be that big, right? We, we know the story in the Old Testament where they were filling up jars, and the only reason that the jars stopped getting filled up is because they stopped putting out jars. When do we stop putting out jars for God in our life and say, God, I've already got all I need? Do we have all we need of God yet? Anybody in here? Be careful, don't raise your hand. I don't want, you to, get, I don't want to become true of you. Because we don't have enough ever of the revelation, the fullness in the presence of God. We have God, and we talked about that last week, and being filled with the Holy Spirit um, as believers doesn't mean that we are getting something that we haven't gotten. We could not be believers in Jesus without the Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit is who regenerates us and saves us and changes us and transforms us. Holy Spirit is the, 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 the life of God that marks us and seals us for our redemption and for eternal life. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of Christ Himself who lives in us so that we can say that we have the fullness of Him there living within us. So we have the Holy Spirit when we get saved. But as D.L. Moody, uh, I quoted D.L. Moody last week, said, um, the reason that I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit is because I leak. I forget I grieve, I hold back, I fill up with other things and therefore do not give place for the Holy Spirit to have the fullness or the full presence of, of uh, the full working of his, his, his self in our life, in my life. I need the fill, fullness of the Holy Spirit, I need to be filled up, I want this glass to be filled up in our life. I want not just three quarters, but I want it all the way to the top, overflowing, pouring out, God's presence in our life. So we cried out last week, God, we need more of you. We need more of you. And why do we pray that? What do we mean? Lord, I want, and, and I described it last week and I'll describe it again. Lord, I want more of your revival. We sang about it today. And what is revival? Being reminded or revived, being made alive again. Made alive again of who God is in our life. I remember when I was in college, we had what we called, I always thought it was funny, we set a week aside for Revival Week, as if that was the week that we, okay, God, revive us on May 4th, please. I'd like to go ahead and set up Revival Week. 
But what we're really saying is, God, here is a container. Lord, would you fill us up with the truth and the revelation of who you are? And one of the revival weeks that we had on campus when I was at school actually became a revival month. Because we got into this big tent, we, they set up a big tent on the campus and brought in somebody to speak and there was awesome worship and there was convicting preaching, but what really happened was the Holy Spirit showed up. And what became, what was just a set of nightly meetings that we were set up for us to attend became an encounter with the living God. For those of you who have experienced this, you know what I'm talking about. It doesn't have to be in a big tent. It doesn't have to be in a room this size. Sometimes it just happens in our home. Maybe it happens just right with you. But you're going along in life. And you open up your vessel. And you say, God, I want you to touch me. I want you to speak to me. And then all of a sudden, he surprises you and says, okay, I will. We pray the prayer as if something is not going to happen. And then when we pray it and God answers it, all of a sudden we're like, oh, God, you're much bigger than my imagination. You're much more real than what reality feels like. I was up the other night, not intentionally. Anybody ever get up in the middle of the night unintentionally? Sometimes that's with little children. That wasn't the case. Sometimes it's because you've got to go to the bathroom. That's happening more as I get older. But I woke up in the middle of the night because I... I don't know why I woke up. I can't remember why I woke up, but I couldn't go back to sleep. And I tossed and turned, and I prayed. Uh, I got up and went to the bathroom, got a drink of water, did all the things that I normally do to try to get back to sleep. And I couldn't get back to sleep. For an hour, I laid there. And then I felt like the Lord said, get up. I woke you up to get up. Yes, Lord. (laughs) So I got up, put my clothes on, went into the living room, You know, there's this little phrase in Scripture about being watchmen in the middle of the night. I didn't realize it was a literal assignment. God said, I want you to be a watchman tonight. And I got up, and I opened my Bible, and I started reading. And I experienced the presence of God. He had an assignment for me, not because he wanted me to do something, because he wanted me to be with him. And I, I assume, knowing my schedule and my life, that God said, you know what, 2.30 in the morning is the best time for you and me, Sean might be able to slow you down and get your attention. And I was revived. I was filled. Not because I made it happen, but because God made it happen for me. And because I was available. How many of us in our lives need to get out of bed? And I'm not saying literally. I'm not assigning a 2.30 meeting for all of you this week. But how many of us need to get out of bed and we need to open up our hearts and we need to say, God, fill me. I'm hungering for your presence. I think being filled and calling out for God means that where I find myself or you find yourself in a place where you are continually living in a repeating cycle of sin, that the Holy Spirit wants to fill you and remove that which is destroying your life so that he can fill you up with that which will give you life. That's being filled with the Holy Spirit. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Let me say it a different way. Don't be drunk with the ways and the the vices of the world, 
Don't try to fill yourself up through sex, through alcohol and addictions, through materialism. Don't try to fill yourself up with stuff that is temporal in this world that's going to pass away. Or that leads us to a place that is far beyond or away from God, that's leading us in a different direction from God. Don't be filled up with the lies in the ways of this world. Don't be drunk on this world. But be filled up with God. Continually. Right? We, we said last week that this word is not just a one-time experience. It's not just a Pentecostal, it acts to, somebody lays a hand on you, you fall out, you speak in tongues, you have a prophetic word experience, and that's all it is. As a matter of fact, that is just, for some of us who have experienced, that is just a little piece of being filled with the Holy Spirit. That is an encounter with God. But to be filled with the Holy Spirit in this passage of Scripture, and within the context of Scripture, is to be continually filled. It's present active in its in its in its uh, definition. To be continually filled. To be filled is to be full of. And it, it, it implies a displacing of something else. To the degree that we are full of the Holy Spirit is the degree that we are empty of everything else that is not holy. Amen? The Holy Spirit is a holy spirit. Uh, growing up in Texas, and we see this, we'll see this a little bit probably in March and April, even here, but growing up in Texas, we have what are called thunderstorms, and they are actually really a lot different than what we experience here for, most, for the most part. They are violent displays of God's fury. Thunder, lightning, massive amounts of rain coming down all at one time in a dry gully. We had a house in Texas that had a huge, big culvert ditch that went through the back of it, through the, through the, through the bottom of our property. And 360 days out of the year, it was dry, or almost dry. But when we had a rainstorm, when the heavens opened up and rain came down, that became an incredible river, a flowing, powerful river. And what was always so interesting to me about that culvert that was dry most of the year is that when that river came, not only did the water come, but all of the junk that was in that culvert for however long that that trench was, was pushed through our backyard. Most of the time it went by, but sometimes we'd go down there, we'd see tires, we'd see desks, you know, all kinds of stuff just being pushed, all the junk being pushed out. Well, I believe that's what being filled with the Holy Spirit is like. I believe that one of the things that God wants to do is say, okay, Cheryl, again, here's the example. Here I am, God. I've got a culvert in my life, and there's stuff in my life that's been attached to me. There's stuff that is not quite like you. And I'm saying, God, would you pour out your spirit in me, and would you blow some of this stuff out? Now, we're not praying that we get it blown into somebody else's backyard, right? But we're asking God to blow it out, flood it out. Lord, I don't want any more tire, tires in my life. I don't want any more shopping carts in my life. You go over to Charles and you see that. You know, it's just, we want it out. Empty the, out the bad fruit. Empty out the carnality, the sin, the unbelief, the empty, apathetic, spiritual weakness. Empty out the aimlessness of our life. Empty out the lethargy. Empty out the religion of our life. One of the things I love about this worship 
time is because it gives an opportunity for people in different walks of faith or seeking to come and to maybe feel a little bit less threatened, although we've got you really tight today, so you might feel, feel a little bit um, too close. But it gives an opportunity for us all to kind of taste and touch God. But you know what? We need more than a taste and a touch. And there are times when we need to just kind of move out the chairs, literally or figuratively, and say, God, I am clearing out space for you to get a hold of my life. Fill us up today, Lord, with your holiness, because you are holy. The Holy Spirit's a holy God, and therefore, as believers, we are holy people. Sean, I don't, don't feel holy all the time. You must be talking to somebody else. You must be talking to your wife. She's holy. You must be talking about my faith group leader. He or she's holy. You must be talking about that person over there that I watch and I, and I admire for how holy. No, if you are a believer in Christ Jesus, whether you feel it, understand it, know it, or are walking it out, you are holy. We're going to understand what that means. Because the scripture says... But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scripture says, you must be holy because I am holy. Or in another translation, instead of saying the word you must, it just says be holy because I am holy. How can he give us a command to be holy as he is holy? Because there's no way God holy, me holy. That doesn't work. Be holy as God is holy can only happen when we recognize that the one that we have accepted into our life lives in us so that he lives the holiness in and through us. R.C. Sproul, a theolo- theologian, said it this way about Isaiah 6 where the, the, uh, the, the seraphim or the angels are crying, crying out before God, holy, holy, holy. He says, the Bible says that God is holy, 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 not that he is merely holy or even holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. The Bible never says that God is love, 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 or mercy, 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 or wrath, 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 or justice, justice, justice. It does not say that he is holy, 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 but it does say, excuse me, that he is holy, 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 and the whole earth is full of his glory. There's an emphasis from God to us to declare that he is holy. To be holy is to be distinct, to be separate, to be in a class by oneself. God is saying of himself that he is distinctly God in all that God is, and there's nobody in his class. Sproul goes on to say it this way, the primary meaning of holy is separate. It comes from an ancient word that means to cut or to separate. Perhaps even more accurate would be this phrase, a cut above something. When we find a garment or another piece of merchandise that is outstanding, that has a superior excellence, we use the expression that it is a cut above the rest. God is a cut above the rest. This means that the one who is holy is uniquely holy with no rivals or competition. That's why he gets so upset about us worshiping other gods and other idols. Because what we are saying is, you know what? You're good, but there's there's something else that is holy like you. 
There are other things in my life that are holy like you, that are a cut above the rest. There are things that I'm living for that are, that are holy like you. And he's saying, there is nothing holy other than me. Because I am holy, holy, holy. Who is like you, Exodus 15 says, who is like you among gods, O Lord, glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders. First Samuel 2, 2, no one is holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Psalm 86, no pagan God is like you, O Lord. None can do what you do. All the nations you made will come and bow down before you, Lord. They will praise your holy name, for you are great and perform wonderful deeds. You alone are God. You alone are God. Listen, there is not a disparity between God's loving mercy and grace and kindness and goodness and all the things that we don't, we're not afraid of when we talk about God. There is not a contradiction between God being like that and being a consuming fire. Of being one that we step back in awe and reverence and say, God, you are holy, I'm not. Forgive me when I put myself on the par of who you are as a person. And then, wow, what a revelation. That Even though I can't say that as a person, I can say, that holy God lives in me. And he's transformed me. Isn't that amazing? And Jesus was holy. This is what makes Jesus different, because he is God. And so when he was on earth, he was a holy man. Holy God, holy in and of himself. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you um, when, when the angel was talking to Mary and the, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. <clears throat> so the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. And we see throughout the life, and we talked about this last week, throughout the life and ministry of Jesus on earth, it became clear that he was not an ordinary man. He was more than a prophet. He was more than a great teacher. He was more than a compassionate lover of people. He was the Son of God. He was holy, holy, holy. Even the demons, when they came into his presence, acknowledged the Holy One of God is among us. That's what they said. So that when we, for those of you who are seeking God this morning, I would declare, as Jesus declared about himself, that he is not just a great teacher or a great prophet, as other religions speak of Jesus. This is not who Jesus is. Jesus is holy, holy, holy. He is the very Son of God. He is the very presence of God. He is God. When Simon Peter, on the boat, when Jesus had revealed to him his power by bringing up that large catch of fish, and, and there was a revelation in Peter's understanding of who Jesus was, it said, when Simon Peter realized what was happening, he fell to his knees, knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. All of a sudden, he was, he was, he was overwhelmed by the holiness and the set-apartness and the glory and the awesomeness of Jesus. Listen. It is awesome to be a friend of Jesus. But he has to have reverence in our lives. We have to see him as not just the one who does things for us and who has done things for us, but he is God. And that should bring upon us a reverence, an awe, 
a holy fear. God, I want to be like you. I want to know you. Even the centurion at his death said, when everything was happening and Jesus cried out and it said the earth shook as he, gave, as he breathed his last breath, there was such an awesomeness to what was going on even at Christ's death. The centurion said, surely this is the Son of God. The church's awareness goes on of the holiness of God in Acts We see, as we talked about last week, of the Spirit of God coming on the disciples, them preaching, people getting saved, the church being formed, the church coming together and living life together. And it said about the church, what did it say? In a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, understood by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was upon them, and there was an awe. We want to see God in this way. Look at 1 Peter. We'll go back to the first passage of Scripture we were looking at when we said, Be holy as I am holy. Verse 17, it goes on and says this, Remember that the Heavenly Father, to whom you pray, has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do, so you must live in reverent fear of Him during your time here as temporary residents. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which loses its value. It was paid by the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God is jealous for who He is. He's jealous for who His Son is. He's jealous for what His Son has done for you and me. He longs to make us holy Because we are holy in Him and He wants us to express and live out the holiness that's already our possession. That was paid for and bought for us by the precious blood of Jesus. Brothers, sisters, in Christ, those of you in the room, you are not some insignificant orphan. You are not some insignificant person that has not experienced the freedom in the revelation, in the life of Jesus, you have been paid for and bought by the precious blood of Jesus. And God wants you to not only receive it, but to own your identity and to own your freedom because of the holy God who lives within you. He is forgiving, gracious, kind, loving, but he's also holy, reverent, and awesome I love this quote from the Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe about Aslan, who is a Christ figure, a God figure in C.S. Lewis's story. And um, it says this. He says, Aslan is a lion, the, lo- the lion, the great lion. And Susan, one of the characters, says, Ooh, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? Did I do a good accent? Is that good? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. We actually don't want a safe God. We don't want somebody who doesn't have power. Because God 
is our ruler. He holds all authority. He is the one who defeats our enemies. He conquers our enemies. He has defeated our enemy. He is holy and he is good. He's our king, I tell you. When we are born again, we not only see who God really is, all of who he is, his forgiveness, his compassion, his love, but we also see his authority, his lordship, and his holiness. We see it, but we're not afraid because we see ourselves in a new life, light because he is in us. 2 Corinthians 3, But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to look and to live like Jesus. To see the glory of God, we've been given new eyes. To see the glory of God, who He is, what we've just described, and that He lives within us. And we begin to reflect that image of God. It's also to walk in freedom. It's my last point here. For you have been called, Galatians 5, verse 13. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful desire or your sinful nature. Verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Verse 19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality. And let me pause here for a second. I believe the reason that the Lord gives us lists like these is not to condemn us, but to set us free. I can remember so many years of my life, especially as a teenager, getting to you know, reading the Bible and getting to these passages of Scripture and either skipping over them or reading them really quickly and hoping I didn't hear anything that was said in them. (laughs) Because at the end of every one of these passages is some kind of statement like, you can't inherit the kingdom of God or you can't be with God if you're doing these things. And I knew that there was something in one of those lists that I was doing, so I didn't want to read it. I didn't want to hear, I I love you, God. And God isn't wanting to yank my chain or to take away my salvation or take away his relationship with me. He's just wanting to remind me and you of what our true identity is and what our true identity is not. What our nature is and what our nature is not. And so when he puts up this list, when when I read it, I'm going to read it slowly and let it sink in. And if one of those things is attached to you, if if there's a tire or a shopping cart with one of these labels on it in your life, say, God, blow it out of my life. Don't let it attach to me because it's not who I am. It's not who I am. Even though I do participate in it or even though I give myself to it, I'm not just going to plug my ears up and hope it doesn't happen in my life because that doesn't work. And I'm not just going to minimize it and say it's not so bad because we know it's bad and we know it destroys our life and others. But we're going to say, God, speak to me so that you can displace what is bad and fill me up with what is good. So we're going to read this just slowly, not for condemnation's sake, but for your freedom's sake. God, blow it out. Because what this list entails, and by by the way, this is just one list. There's plenty of lists. List what? To condemn me? No. 
to let you see, gosh, this doesn't look like God. This is not who I am. So that we can be free. Hey, let's be very clear, Paul says, that the, the sinful nature that is not the Holy Spirit looks like this. Sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. Sex outside of marriage. Adultery. Pornography. Lust. Entertaining sexual tendencies by putting yourself in sexual situations so that you can be aroused or stirred sexually. That's sexual immorality. I could go on. Impurity. Speak to us, Lord. Lustful pleasures. Idolatry. Sorcery. Hostility. Quarreling. Jealousy. Outbursts of anger. Selfish ambition. Dissension. Division. Envy. Drunkenness. Wild parties. And other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Anybody who is living that way is not going to have the kingdom of God dwelling fully in their life. You either get to inherit the wind or inherit God. That which comes in your life today and passes out and destroys you. Or inherit life through the fullest. What does life look like? We're going to talk about this in detail next week. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. There's nothing in it, another way of saying it, there's nothing that can stop these things. When those kind of fruits are unleashed in our life, they transform people's lives, yours included. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and the desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucify them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life. So what does it look like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It looks like displacing these things that we just read about and other kinds of descriptions like this that don't line up with who the character and the, the holiness of God is. Letting those things be pushed out, stopped, eradicated in our life, and in in return, walking in the the fruit, in the fullness, in the the life of God. Amen? So let's respond. Can I have the band come on up? Let me say something about your pastor. I'm going to talk about your pastor right now. Is it okay? You're never supposed to talk about your pastor. Well, I can talk about myself. One of the things I learned, or one of the things I feel like that the Lord revealed to me early on in my life, um, as 
as one that he had called to be a minister of God, as one who he had called to be a believer, obviously, just all of us are in this place. But as he was speaking to me, he said, Sean, I'm not, I'm not, and hear me on this, that I'm not near as concerned about your bad behavior. I want your heart. I'll deal with your behavior. But I want you to be a humble man. And I want you, when you see that things are not aligned in your life, I want you to be honest with me, Sean. And I want you to say, God, I am broken in this area. And I need help. And I want you to take it one step further, Sean. I don't want you to just say these things to me, but I want you to model that for your family. So if you were in my home, we don't have a perfect home. I actually get angry sometimes. I actually am not kind. I'm, I actually am slothful at times. I'm actually, I mean, I could go through that list and tell you that probably almost every one of those things, not all of them, but a good measure of those, I'm either tempted to be like or I have been sinful. But I have determined in my life, God, you said this is one that you esteem, one who is humble, one who is contrite, and one who trembles at the word of God, that fears you, and that you will be abundantly good to forgive me, to cleanse me of my sin, and to restore righteousness, right living to my life. God's looking for humble hearts this morning. He's not looking for perfect, perfect acting people. He's looking for people who understand that you are perfect in Christ Jesus and that you can live in this way. You don't have to raise your hand, but in your heart, don't you want to say no to the sin patterns in your life and walk in the fullness of who Jesus is in you? Isn't that what we want? So it might be today that we need to say, God, something was, something was touched this morning. It might just be of a reverence of you. And God, I want to have more reverence of your holiness. And it might be that God's wanting to blow out some tires this morning. But can we humble ourselves and allow God to revive us this morning? Just stand up with me. We've got, a, little, we've got a, a few minutes here to respond, so you're not in a hurry. Just, some of you are in the habit of when you stand up, you start pulling your purse and your coat together and start thinking about getting out of here. I don't want you to read through. The, I, I want you to see this part of time, this time in the service right now as the time where we slow down on the Word of God and don't try to speed through it. Okay, God, what are you saying to me? So would you, if you're willing to, would you put your hands out like this? I'm going to pray or actually, I just want, to, I want you to pray a prayer in your own words, something like this. Lord, my life is open to you. Lord, I want you to blow out, remove the sin and the patterns that are not holy in my life. Fill me up, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. Fill me up with your holy life. Establish patterns of holiness in my life. You just go on. You can be specific about the things that are going on in your life. Stay in that place of response to the Lord. Sometimes, as we often do in these these. Sunday morning services is that we give space for you to even respond 
through prayer with one another. It might be that you need somebody to agree with you and pray for you, maybe even to hold you accountable. So we're going to have a chance to do that here for the next few minutes. As the worship team leads out, if you need to step outside of your aisle and find somebody to pray with, maybe someplace else in the room, or maybe it's your neighbor, or maybe you want a leader or somebody else that's here at the front of the service to pray for you, we want to respond right now. God, blow into our lives and fill us up. So let's respond as a leader.